Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here with the show today. We've got a lot of things to go over to make you a smarter investor. Going to talk about the jobs report that came out on Friday. Also, the jolts report. We'll explain what those two are and how they happened and what happened with them. Also, too, last year, dividends and buybacks and also to the federal debt. You may be worried about the federal debt. We're going to tell you why. Eh, don't worry too much about it. And with me is Chase. Chase. Hey, good to be here. Uh, first show of 2024. Can't believe it. And uh, already first week of trading in the books. There's already a lot of news going on out there with uh, you know analyst picks. So we want to kind of take a closer look at, at some hot stocks already to start 2024. We're going to take a closer look here at City, Citibank, Citigroup, whatever you want to call them. Ticker symbol there is C. Also going to take a closer look at Walgreens Boots Alliance is what they go by. And then lastly, too, we want to take a close look at Boeing. I know they've gotten, I'm say, a little bit of love here to start 2024. And we'll take a closer look, as always, at those fundamentals, those debt levels, and very important, too, what we're paying for the future earnings of that company to get a sound target sell price. And I guess the question is, will that love last, Chase? I don't know. Yeah, a long <laughs> we'll year see. ahead of us. Yeah. And also, too, join the show, we'll have our financial planner, CFP, Harrison Johnson, and also Robert B. Hick, uh, president of Contywide Lending, president of the Contywide why lending he'll be joining us later in the show to talk about real estate but let's talk about this jobs report because well there was initial concern that the jobs report was too strong and could point to inflationary concerns after digging into the report i believe it is still in line with our belief that the economy is in good enough spot to have a soft landing and avoid further inflationary pressures the initial concerns stem from the fact that the headline employment grew by 216,000 in the month of December, which easily topped the estimate of 170,000 jobs. While this may sound extremely strong, the previous two months were revised lower by a total of 71,000 jobs. Also, government was a major contributor to the report as the sector added 52,000 jobs in the month of December with such a large contribution from the public sector. This shows me the private sector is continuing to soften. And if we actually just look at the areas of the private sector that were strong, well, they included health care and social assistance. That's been one that's been strong for, for many, many years, I would say, actually. That was up 58900 in the month of December. Leisure and hospitality was up 40000 And actually, construction as well still remaining quite strong, up 17000 Now, I wanted to point this out because even after many months of positive gains, the leisure and hospitality sector still remains 1% or 163,000 below pre-pandemic levels. I got to believe that's the only sector that has not recovered to those pre-pandemic levels as all the other sectors have actually done quite well. And actually the overall jobs market, well, it softened in 2023 as monthly gains averaged 225,000 for the year compared to 399,000 in 2022. I do believe as well that those monthly gains will soften even further in 2024. Doesn't mean softening is bad. It just means we're not going to see 225,000 jobs created on average every single month in 2024. We could see something, you know, maybe in the high ones, but that's still, again, a strong labor market. 
I will say, though, the only concern I had about the report was that wage inflation, as average hourly earnings increased 4.1% compared to December 2022, and this was actually above expectations for 3.9%, and last month's reading of 4%. Now, ideally, we would love to see this continue to soften as wage inflation generally pressures overall inflation, but you got to keep in mind that data does not always move in a straight line. It is something to keep an eye on, but I do believe wage inflation will also soften in 2024. 4.1%, it's still a hot number, I'm going to say. Yeah, it's still a hot number. And and when we look at what's going on, we, we were correct in 2023 that we'd have a soft landing. It's not over yet. We still have more to look at. But when you look at what's going on for 2024, I think we're going to see because of this data we're getting, and it's not all perfect data. You've got to analyze the data and say what's going to happen with it, that I think we're going to have three interest rates cuts probably later in the year, we, the economy will continue to, to do fine. And also, too, the jobs market will do okay. And we got the jolts report we'll talk about in a minute. But the labor market continues to be strong, but not too strong. Yeah, and I, I, I'm curious, actually. I, I've been in the camp of three rate cuts. Part of me still thinks we could see more than three rate cuts this really? year. Really? Wow. And, I mean, <clears throat> I was listening this morning, and they were bringing up great points that you look at inflation now softening perhaps to 2.5% on the PCE in the first part of this year. But rates are still above five percent right now. If you start cutting them, you know you get to let's say four and three quarters. That's still a very strong real rate on the the inflation essentially at the end of the day. So bringing that interest rate down to a more normalized inflation rate, I think it, you could see maybe four or five cuts this year. I, I've kind of started to grow more in that camp of. You could see more than three this year. And, and we'll see what happens this year, but I, but I, I think that's a little too aggressive. Uh, I do believe that the Fed chairman is more concerned about having a repeat of the 70s where they cut too quickly and inflation returned. I think he would err more on the side of like, let's do three cuts, see how things go. Now, if things go extremely well, maybe he would cut one, maybe two more times. But I, I, I would not count on that. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't count on it. I, I just, I was pretty anti rate cuts, and, and now as we're seeing inflation, I still really think inflation could get down to that two percent level. Frankly, you don't need four percent interest rates, four and a half percent interest rates. I'm going to say if we do get that two percent inflation, I think there still needs to be patience. But you could bring interest rates down maybe to maybe the low fours and, and still be okay in fighting inflation, being restrictive enough, but not being too restrictive. So there's going to be ebbs and flows. This is the beginning of 2024. <laughs> so, I mean, predictions are predictions, and, and we'll have to see what happens throughout the year. And I do want, real quickly, before we move on, I want to warn those short-term investors, have those short-term CDs, short-term T-bills. You're not going to be happy in the second part of the year when you say, wait, what happened to my high yield? Remember those short-term money, you're going to see those rates cut by... Uh, maybe a half, maybe a full percentage point when you try to renew them. Well, and I say, you know, three rate cuts. If I am right and the prediction comes out that it is four, five, six rate cuts potentially, well, actually, that's going to make those short term oh, yeah. CD rates even worse. So, got to keep an eye on it because if inflation does get down to the rate I think it can, that's where you could see rate cuts come in and be even more prevalent. Well, well let's move on to the JOLTS report because that uh, stands for Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey again called the jolts. The labor market is continuing to soften. The report showed that job openings fell to 8.79 million in November. This was right in line with the estimate of 8.8 million, but was lower than October's upwardly revised report by 62,000 openings. Now, if it stands, the report actually produced the lowest level of openings since March 2021. While this continues to sound negative, there are still 1.4 openings for every available worker out there. 
while this is lower than the two to one ratio that we saw for much of 2022, it is still well above historical levels and shows we have a good labor market that is softening from historic levels. Again, I want to emphasize that term softening. Yes. It is not bad. Softening is just coming down from a very hot, very high level. It's like, I, I don't know, the, the other way to look at it is, let's say you make 20% in a year, and the next year you make 10%. Yeah, you had a softening return from 20%, but I mean, 10% return is <laughs> still pretty good. Yeah, and, and, and the job market, again, this points to the fact that it is not weak, and people are concerned, oh, people start losing their jobs, the economy's going to be weak. No, it is not going to happen. We've we've got a good jolts reports, and that's why we do the Smart Investing Show, to keep people informed of what's going on, so you don't panic about things, you understand the fundamentals of the economy and also investing as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and just being realistic with things is, is an important approach you got to take as an investor. Yeah. Well, well, let's move on. Talk a little bit about investing. Talk about dividends and buybacks. And dividends and buybacks for 2023 came in with dividends holding strong at $588 billion, which was an increase of 4.2% compared to 2022. Now, buybacks are still higher than dividends at $780 billion, but company executives in 2023, well, they cut back 15.4% on stock buybacks for the year. And don't think dividends at 2% or 3% are not worth putting your investment dollars into. Going back 100 years, dividends as a percent of the total return still account for 38% of the total return there. Now, for the long term, investors should have equities in their portfolio that not only grow the stock price over time, but also pay a dividend that the company increases over time as well. And this is something that investors miss many times. Oh, I got to get that growth company. I got to get the next Apple. I got to get the next Microsoft. That is not how you make money long term. You get it by investing in good companies that grow their earnings, grow their sales, grow their dividends over time. And, and I did want to go back to the buybacks too, because you know we talk about dividends a lot and a lot of people love dividends, but buybacks is another way to obviously increase the, the shareholder value. And as I said, 2023, there, there was a, a decent sized pullback from 2022. I think you could see a higher amount of buybacks this year, which could be beneficial, again, provide a little bit more money coming in in those stocks, which could be beneficial for the right stocks in 2024. And I do want to point out, be careful companies buying, doing buybacks. Many times they're doing buybacks to offset what they issue to the executives many times for stock options and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's a great point. you got to understand the buyback because, I mean, frankly, we, we talk a lot about Apple. I don't want to talk too much about them today. But yeah, they're doing stock buybacks, but I don't know why they're buying back stock at 30 times earnings. Yeah. It's just expensive. So, not all buybacks are created equal, like a lot of things in investing. You want to make sure a company buying back their stock is buying back their stock at good valuations, because otherwise it could be a wasted investment at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and you always want to look at, is the company being wise with that money? And I want to warn people, if you see a company doing stock buybacks and borrowing that money to do that, that's a warning sign. I would say get out of that company immediately. Get, sell that equity because you don't want a company borrowing money to buy back their own stock. Especially at these interest rates. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> I mean, but companies were doing it back when, you know, you could get debt for 2 3%, but, but now you, it's harder to find that debt. Not that I was an advocate of them even doing it back then because you could be buying stock at an elevated level. Now you have interest expense. Now you may have to refinance that. You, you just don't want to lever up the balance sheet and, and put your company at risk because it may be a short-term benefit to the stock price. But again, being a long-term investor, you want to make sure that balance sheet remains intact. And, and we do like to see some big buybacks. I mean, last year, 2023, we did see a big buyback from a couple companies. One I'll 
give an example of people was General Motors bought back, wasn't it like $10 billion? Oh, yeah. And they had, I think, close to $30 billion cash on the balance sheet. So that helped, helped the stock because what happens when the company buys back stock, there's less shares outstanding, your earnings per share goes up, and therefore the price of the stock or the, the PE on the stock or what you're actually paying for that stock goes down. So it puts it on sale. That's what it actually does. Oh, yeah. I mean, you as an investor, you get you – get there's less shares outstanding, so you get more of the earnings, more of the sales, more of the accounting value, the book value, the cash flow. You're essentially a larger owner in that business by doing nothing. <laughs> exactly. But you got to find the right companies at the right price to actually do that. And again, we're talking equities. Well, we're talking about uh, debt. Let's talk about the federal debt in the first part of January. It was announced that the federal debt for the first time surpassed $34 trillion. Yes, a very large number. But it's important to understand the debt to GDP. Now, debt to GDP is like looking at your own personal situation where your income is rising and you take on more debt to either buy a home, buy a car, or, or some other asset that you want to finance because you can now afford the larger payments. The debt to GDP actually peaked at the end of 2020, touching 126%. And the most recent data shows debt to GDP has now fallen to under 120% of GDP. I mean, it makes sense. Obviously, 2020 was COVID, so GDP had you know, kind of declined, and, and now we started to see that GDP recover. And that's why it's so important. You have to understand if the economy can continue to grow faster than the increase in the debt, the percent of the debt versus GDP will go down and put the country and the essential balance sheet of the country and a better financial position. And it's so important to understand this concept. A, a couple of things, and I know we got some good time here. Uh, a couple of things I want to point out is one that people say, oh, they should raise taxes, raise taxes. Raise taxes is bad because that slows the economy and therefore your, GD, your, your GDP will not grow as much. So you do not want to raise taxes. You want the economy to grow more by stimulating the economy. Yeah, and you got to be careful, obviously, overstimulating because oh, yeah. that's yeah. what causes inflation. Now you have problems. So, I mean, it, it's a very tough balance that you have to have as a, you know a government to to make sure your your currency still remains valuable. If you have wild inflation, nobody's going to want that currency. It's not as trustworthy. So, keeping that balance is very important. But yeah, no doubt about it. If you can grow GDP a healthy amount. I don't want to encourage you to just go borrow a trillion dollars every year. <laughs> but yeah, you can afford to take on a little bit of debt just because you're having that growth. As you said, it's kind of like if you buy a house and you get a mortgage on that house. I mean, if it's a, a good house that you bought, a mortgage isn't a bad thing. Same thing with federal debt. It's not a bad thing because you're backing, again, the strongest country in the world in the United States here to allow the country to continue to grow. Now, you can debate, of course, what those growth methods are over time, but, but that's kind of where the, the politics come into play. But you have to understand, debt is not always bad. And, and Chase, you and I are famous always saying a, a number means nothing at all unless you have something to compare it to. Well, it also helps when you look at, yes, our GDP is higher. It used to be like 80%. Now it is above the, the 120 area. But understand, there's many countries, including countries like Japan, they hit nearly 200% GDP and they did not collapse. They did, the government didn't go broke. They continued on. Now it slowed down their economy, but they moved forward. And the same thing will happen here. And we're nowhere near where Japan was on that. So we still have a safe economy with a safe debt level. Even though $34 trillion is a lot of money, it's all relative. And also, too, you got to understand a lot of that debt did kind of come from the COVID era where you know we were spending trillions of dollars and again you can debate the fact if that was right or wrong but it's not like we're spending six trillion dollars every single year have <laughs> we're spending six trillion but <laughs> we don't have a deficit of six trillion dollars every <laughs> single year <laughs> so uh, again 
it makes the headlines. It makes the news. And, you know, what's funny, what doesn't make the news, obviously, is, you know, house prices or stock mm-hmm. prices. People like to fixate on the debt levels. That, that seems like that makes so much more news because it's negative than, you know, stocks or, or real estate being at all-time highs. But, you know, it gets a little bit of love, but not as much feedback as, oh, my gosh, the debt's at record levels. This is terrible. The country's falling apart. Now, look back. Again, everything is all relative. you got to compare that debt, again, to the income the GDP, or even due to the assets. There's different ways to make sure that debt is in an okay spot. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because people don't think about debt to assets. And that's when, when you buy a house, that's what you're doing. Well, the house is a million dollars. I'm going to borrow 800000 Okay, I'm fine. If the house goes up to $1.2 million over you know 20%, wow, I, I'm actually in a better situation. Well, the same thing. The government has tons of assets. They have oil reserves. They have uh, office buildings that (laughs) sit there empty with land, tons of land, all these different assets they have. I can't remember the number. It's a large number of assets the government has, and you never hear about that. The, the, The mainstream media wants to scare you. What we try to do is educate you on what's really going on so you don't have to panic and worry. Go to work, take care of your family, go to the movies, do all these different things. And the big thing it always comes back to is the companies, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the investments, the investments are into businesses and these businesses are growing sales or growing earnings. They're growing their own assets. And, you know, frankly, the politics gets so much noise at the end of the day. But CEOs, CFOs, the the companies, they don't care who's in office. I mean, yes, there may be harder challenges with certain regulations with one president over another president or one Congress over another Congress. But ultimately, their job is not to care about those politics and to do what's best for their shareholders and grow in any type of environment. And that's what you want to invest in is those companies that have sound business plans that can weather the political storm at the end of the day. I don't know about you, but uh, it seems like political issues have been around for many, many years. <laughs> they, they have been, and, and, and they'll be around for many years in the future as well. So they're going to be there. Don't worry about them. Understand the situation. Well, well let, let's change gears here and, and talk about uh, financial planning. We have our uh, CFP, Harrison Johnson, uh, our financial planner. Harrison, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? Good, good. Today you're talking about structuring income for 2024. This is very important because... Yeah, well, let's start the year. What should people do here? Yeah, with a new year comes a fresh slate for your taxes, so now is the time to plan out your income for 2024. If you are withdrawing money from investment accounts, you'll probably want to take another look at it as tax brackets and RMDs have changed. Um, So withdrawals from pre-tax accounts are considered ordinary income. Roth withdrawals are tax-free. And withdrawals from taxable non-retirement accounts are also tax-free. So taxable accounts have capital gains and dividends, which are going to be taxable whether you withdraw anything or not. So the withdrawals themselves from those types of accounts are not taxable at all. And those capital gains and dividends inside of that account are taxable, but taxed at a lower rate. So depending how you structure your withdrawals from those accounts is going to determine how much you have to pay to the government. Ordinary income is taxed the highest, and it's okay to have ordinary income as long as you can have it fill up only the lower tax brackets. Tax-free income is obviously preferred, but you don't need to only have tax-free income because then you're missing out on the benefit of those lower tax brackets. So ideally, you want to have the right amount coming from each source to satisfy your living expenses while keeping your income on paper at the most efficient threshold. 
So for those with lower expense needs, a threshold to plan around is an adjusted gross income of around $30,000. At this level, there would be no tax because the standard deduction would reduce taxable income down to nothing. Now, $30,000 might seem low, but at that level, Social Security is largely tax-free. And if there's also some Roth income, it's possible to have five, six, or $7,000 of monthly cash flow while keeping that annual adjusted gross income around $30,000. The next threshold is an income level of about $125,000. This is the point where ordinary income moves from the 12% tax bracket up to the 22% tax bracket and also where capital gain and dividend income move from the 0% bracket up to the 15% bracket. And you really have to be careful here because a little extra ordinary income might be in the 12% bracket, but then it can push your capital gains up from the zero into the 15% bracket. So your overall marginal tax rate for that period is actually 27%. So um, something to be aware of. Uh, next is an income level around $210,000 for those who are 63 and older. This is where Medicare premiums start to increase based, based on higher income levels. And since there's a two-year gap between your income and your Medicare premiums, you really need to be aware of this when you're 63, not when you're 65 and actually starting Medicare. And then lastly, for those with higher incomes, the threshold to watch out for is income of about $415,000 because this is where your tax rate increases from 24% up to 32%. So no matter what your income needs. Uh oh, looks like we lost Harrison there. Yeah, so, looks uh, like we lost him there. What happened there? Well, that's how you structure that. Oh, there he is. Oh, perfect, perfect. Harrison, can you go back there? I mean, you were talking just saying that, you know, no matter your income needs, it, it, it's uh, important. What were you saying there? Oh, lost him again. Not so lost that connection there. Ah, well. Well, as soon as we start talking, he'll come back in. Yeah, I know, I know. But, uh, you know, I, I think... There he is. Yeah, Harrison? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, con continue. Okay, so, uh, yeah, at $415,000 of income, that's where your taxes increase from 24% up to 32%. So no matter where your income needs are, it helps to plan out that those withdrawals because ultimately we want to be able to retire sooner with more income and pay less taxes on that income. You know, Harrison, I know people are sitting there listening like, wow, this is confusing. And, and I want to tell people, this is what a true financial planner does, goes into detail. Some people say, I'm not even sure what my tax bracket is. How am I going to know what this is? Well, and, the, you know, that's a good point, Brad, because a lot of people, you know, don't know what bracket they are in or he, how much they're paying in taxes. They just look at the refund or the payment that they get um, when they file their taxes in April. But you know, now that we're at the beginning of the year in 2024, it really helps to look at, okay, where's the income coming from? What's the cash flow coming from? How can we use that income to, you know, fill up the lower brackets, um, but ultimately avoid being pushed into the higher brackets, avoid Medicare premiums, um, and again, make sure that you get the, the cash flow that you need just without paying too much for it. You know, Harrison, yeah. I think it's interesting that uh, you talk about this needs to be important when you're 63, but obviously this planning even starts before 63 to make sure oh, you're, yeah. you're saving in the right accounts and, and making sure you kind of have that, that income structure availability when, when you do hit that retirement age. 
Did we lose him again? Yeah. I, oh, shoot. I think he got most of his, his topic Stop in there. So, yeah. you, you know, I, yeah. I was, <laughs> that was pretty much, I keep coming in and out, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, Harrison, thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, we'll talk more next week, and I know you have another great topic to help people understand more about their finances, financial planning, taxes, uh, cash flow, all these important things. So thanks for being with us, and we'll actually see you in the office on Monday. Yeah, we'll see you on Monday, guys. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye. Again, as uh, Harrison Johnson, he is a CFP, he is a financial planner. He is on a salary. He does not collect uh, commissions by selling you high insurance products or high commission products. Uh, He is unbiased. You can give him a call at the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And the first consultation with him is free to see how financial planning can help you. All right, well, well Chase, we, we talked about some companies here in the beginning. We want to kind of take a look at those here. So we, we talked about Citibank. And Citibank, the reason why I, I thought this would be important to talk about was a gentleman, an analyst from Wells Fargo came out, and he said, in three years, he thinks this stock could double. So I thought, wait a minute, let's look at this to see what he thinks. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited. I, I think we like the financial sector. I think there's some good opportunities within it. And, you know, curious to see what City Citibank's got going on for him. Yeah, so let's look at uh, Citibank. Uh, they're simple as C. They're in the bank and diversified in, uh, banks. Uh, we do see that there's not much short on the stock, like 1.5%, 72% institutional owned. Now, now here is a, a good part, but not as good as I would like it to see. The P.E. ratio is 8.6, above the industry at 6.8. That's too expensive. Price to sales looks good, though, 1.4 versus 2.1. Price to book value, very good, 0.6 versus 4.0. That means you're paying 60 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of this company. That's a great deal. And there's something called a peg ratio, which is what you're paying for the future. That's not looking too good either. It's uh, 8 versus 6.5. So, so far, I'm not sure what the analyst from uh, Wells Fargo is looking at, but we, we do see over the last year, City has had some problems. Our earnings were down 11.4%. The industry up 10.5%. The sales for City, well, they were down, actually up 4%, but not as good as the industry, up uh, 8.7. Now, the five-year growth rate, not much here from the mean of the analysts. Uh, they're looking for 1.2. That's well below the industry estimate of 4. Uh, they do pay a dividend, a 3.8% dividend, and only use about... Uh, 32% of their earnings to pay off that dividend, so that's a good thing there. Uh, looking at the balance sheet, uh, we do see that's a bank, so they have a little bit different situation. Debt to equity is good at 1.5 versus 1.9. Return equity, not so good. I mean, it's uh, about 6 versus 11.5, so I'd want to see that go higher before I felt comfortable looking at this as a buy. But Chase, what do you got for the company going forward? Yeah, I, I want to give the, the current price here for Citigroup. It's uh, $54.33. And, and, and actually, the 52-week low was, wow, $38.17. And the 52-week high, well, that was actually $54.75. So it has kind of been, you know, coming up over the last, uh, you know, year or so. It looks like actually they're up about 15%. And, you know, you look over the last 10 years, though, the stock's actually, gosh, about flat. And over the last five years, it hasn't done much at all as well. But going forward to December 2024 now, we see the estimated earnings per share is $6. It means it trades at a forward PE of about nine times. Very, very inexpensive. Got a couple more thoughts about that that I do want to kind of discuss as well. Yeah, let's I think there's a lot more that I wanted yeah. to talk about with this bank. Let's, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up on a Citibank. Right. Give us a Smart Investing Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April. Shot. 
down in May But I know I'm gonna change All righty, welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investing Show. You are listening to Smart Investing with Brett and Chase. We're just finishing up talking about uh, Citibank, looking at the fundamentals of that, say, should you be investing in that? Chase, you're talking about the earnings uh, going forward. You had a couple of comments there on that. Yeah, I mean, I just think, again, it, it traded at about nine times future earnings. And, you know, we get a target sell price actually with that $6 of earnings per share of $99.60. Again, their, their current price is $54.33. So, I mean, this company has a lot of value. And, and you have to understand, you know, you compare it against like a JP Morgan Chase. JP Morgan Chase is a very, very strong company. Citigroup is still kind of almost in the middle of that turnaround, essentially, at the end of the day. They're not, I'm going to say, even comparable to J.P. Morgan Chase in terms of the actual fundamentals. But with that said, I do think there could be more opportunity with the Citigroup because they are in that middle of the turnaround situation. And, you know, with Citigroup, I mean, they've had some difficulties. I, I believe their new CEO has been there like a couple years or so. I, I, I heard what that analyst was saying. I want to buy Citigroup, but I just don't have that feeling yet. And I, I, I'm looking at some numbers here as well. I mean, that they're... they're Estimates for the last 90 days have fallen a little bit. I mean, it doesn't look bad, but I'm just not getting that feeling that, yes, let's let's buy Citigroup now. And it's so weird because they're a big bank, but when I think of Citigroup, I don't even put them in the same conversation as, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase or Bank of America or even yep. a Wells Fargo. I, I don't really think of Citigroup as like a, a money center bank, but I know that's essentially who they're competing against. And I know they have some other streams of revenue. I believe this kind of hurt them years ago, but they had a lot more foreign exposure. Right. I don't know <clears throat> if that's been resolved. There, there's a lot more to the picture that you'd have to understand if you're looking at investing in Citigroup. I think there's great potential, but there's also a lot more risk in, in a, a bank like this. And one benefit I know is that they are the credit card that Costco uses, which mm -hmm. is, is big for them, but I don't know what else they do. And if you're gonna invest in Citigroup or you're gonna hold it, you better understand what their businesses are because they used to have a lot of foreign loans. Yeah, foreign loans, and uh, I, I think credit's pretty large for them. They have my other one of my other favorite credit cards, the double cash card that I use quite a lot. Uh, but yeah, outside of credit card, I, I, I'd want to know again where, where they're making their money. That's obviously an important thing to understand if you own a business. Well, well let's move on and, and talk about uh, Walgreens because this past week, Walgreens got hammered. I, I think they were down like 20 some percent or something. They cut the dividend in half. I've been kind of waiting for this to happen with the Walgreens. Uh, what is their symbol? WBA, I think, right? Is yeah, that WBA. Yeah. It's again, Walgreens Boots Alliance. A lot of times people forget about the Boots Alliance. That's, I believe, they're kind of European type yeah. business. I never liked that name. It just didn't sound like it was a, a, a drugstore type <laughs> with a Boots Alliance in there. But but their symbol is uh, WBA. They're, they're in the pharmaceutical retailer industry. Now, uh, there's about 6.8% short on the flow, which is not too outrageous. Only 61% institutional owned. We do see the PE ratio very high. I mean, 37.9 versus non-material for the industry. So good for the industry, but not so good for them. Price of sales is very low, 0.2 versus 0.3. Uh, there is no price of tangible book value, which means you take away all the intangible assets. There's no value to this company. Industry's at 67. And the price of cash flow looks okay, 14.6 versus 18.4. Now, their earnings growth of the last year is not material. They've not been growing the earnings. 
Uh, surprising that their sales did grow up last year by 5.2% when the industry was down 14.8. So doing a good job on their sales there. We do see that they uh, uh, have uh, they do not pay a dividend. Oh no, they do pay a dividend. Four uh, percent. Now that's been cut. So I think now it's two percent. The problem they have the dividend payout ratio. There's no earnings to pay this dividend, so they're borrowing to buy this dividend. Not a good thing you want to see. Look at the balance sheet. Very important when you get into these companies that could be having some problems. Current ratio 0.6 versus 1.4. That's a problem with liquidity. If they go further down that hole, this company could be filing bankruptcy, and they do have a high debt. Debt equity 1.7 versus 0.8, so that is not good. Net profit margin. Well, a negative 2.2 versus a negative 1.5. So for every dollar that they bring in, <laughs> they lose about uh, uh, two and a half cents on it. Uh, return to equity a negative 15.4. So I'm not seeing good things yet on this company. I'm saying, yes, I'm going to get excited. This could be a value buy. This could be a value trap and could go f- further down. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting company here. I mean, the, the current stock price at $25.01, it's Closer to his 52 week low than the 52 week high. Obviously, that low is $19.68. The high here, $37.96. See, over the last one year, gosh, down about 29%. And, and this stock just has not done well over the years. I look over the last five years, the stock is down 65%. Look over the last 10 years, gosh, still down 60%. So, I mean, this has not been a moneymaker for investors. No. Uh, with that said, though, I, I do know, gosh, Jim Cramer is very high on the new CEO. I know there's a lot of other people very high on the new CEO. He was actually formerly the head of Express Scripts, which was bought by Cigna. Oh, yeah. And then he was actually the CEO of Evernorth, which was a, a company within Cigna. And uh, he, he's really kind of garnered a great reputation in the healthcare space. So I know a lot of people are excited about what he can potentially do with assets that that Walgreens potentially has. So that's never a reason for me to buy a stock, but it's always a good potential if the numbers are there as well. And actually, I mean, I look at the the valuations here. You go out to August 2025, the report on a fiscal basis, I see estimated earnings per share of $3.64. Gives you a target sell price of $60.42. It trades at under seven times those future earnings. Not sure why they don't have earnings in the past. Could be accounting issues. But going forward, I mean, it, the valuations are quite strong. The The big worry I have is that debt level. Yeah, yeah that, that debt could be a big problem. And that liquidity could be a very big problem. I, I do see going back 90 days that the estimate was $4.11. So that's down about 10 11% from that side. So the analysts are starting to cut down on those estimates going forward. I, I think, I, I want to say this could be worth this. There's many times a company they want to get into, but I just don't feel so comfortable. As you mentioned, the debt and the liquidity, the earnings seem to be there, but I'd want to understand I'm going to invest in this company. What is their plans for this debt? How are they going to pay down some of this debt? How are they going to increase their liquidity? Yeah, I mean, that too. And the other thing is they, they did just report earnings or they, they slashed what their earnings are expected to be this past week. You could see those estimated earnings of, again, $3.64. They could be coming down even a little bit further. What I will say, at under seven times uh, those future earnings, you have a little bit of a buffer as how much further they come down and that value still being there. So it's never something I'm excited about when earnings estimates decline, but with evaluation at this magnitude, there's still potential. As you said, though, there's a lot more research that would have to be done with this company. I, I think there's tremendous opportunity but uh, definitely risks with that 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 balance sheet that I'm going to say is questionable at the least. Yeah, and it's been in the news a lot because of their situation. I, and I do believe the CEO said that they were looking at uh, spinning off or selling the uh, Boots Alliance, and I think that's in London or England or someplace. Uh, it's somewhere in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Europe. Yeah. So I, I I would that could be a positive, and, and maybe have them focus back to where they should be at. 
uh, understanding more of their business. Sometimes these businesses get too excited and just want to acquire, acquire, and then they lose control of what they have and they start losing money. And, and the other thing too is a lot of times people try and compare them to CVS, but you have to understand- C- CVS, not CBS. CVS. 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 D as in Victor. <laughs> uh, but the thing you have to understand is CVS actually does have you know Aetna as well. So they have yep. insurance within it. Walgreens Boot Alliance does not have that. So I'm not sure how much is more of that retail storefront, but that's something that could be a diminishing business that could be hard. I believe they do have pharmacy. So you'd have to understand what is that business model? How are they going to generate earnings? I'm assuming they have pharmacy and that's why they brought in the gentleman. uh, I think his last name is uh, Wentworth. It's actually his last name. Yeah, that that is it. I remember because it's like an English sounding name. Yeah. Yeah, Wentworth. you have to understand how is he going to be able to help in his background again at at Express Scripts and at uh, Evernorth within Cigna. I mean, he he did a great job there growing those businesses. I know, and and maybe he can turn around Walgreens. You know, you brought up the name CVS. I was thinking the same thing. Should we look at CVS? Because I know we did in the past. Uh, it was way low, went up. I don't know where it stands now, but that could be something for a future show. Look at the CVS because maybe that's pulled back in sympathy with Walgreens. Uh, maybe that make the buying opportunity. And again, I know that they generate a lot more earnings from the the Aetna side of right. the business because you know that that health insurance is a is a huge business for right. them. Right. And, and and I want people, the listeners, to understand too that when, when we're looking at companies, we're not saying, oh, this is a trade, and you know, three months it's going to be up. We're saying here's an opportunity to buy this business, CVS or Walgreens. And if we buy, what was it, Walgreens, like 20-something, I think you said it was 22 or something, yeah. that we would love to see like in three years, like, well, now it's not at 22, but now it's up 42. Gosh, I'd be nearly 100% gain over that time frame by investing in the business on sale. Yeah, and I, I have to understand a little bit more of the dividend because I know they just cut that this week. Um, but they didn't cut it to zero, so you're still getting some type of yield on it. Um, it looks like actually I see a yield of 4.12%. It looks like that is reflected in my system now going forward is that forward yield. So I mean, you're still getting a decent yield on a, a business that has good value to it. So as I said, I, I think there's potential here. I'm not ready to jump the gun and I wouldn't no. buy this on Monday, but you know, I feel like people have been watching this now though for two, three years and it just has continued to bleed. And yep. again, maybe the CEO can actually turn things around, maybe have that Larry Culp type moment <laughs> where in GE, he was able to come in, and GE is just bleeding, and, and he was able to get in it and write the ship. And you know, you brought up Larry Culp, and I, I, we see this, the stock now, and I know we talked about uh, investing in GE when it was down, I want to say like 65 or 70. We looked hard at it. as $6 a share, but now well, it's split adjusted. Well, it's split adjusted. And generally, we do a reverse split. It doesn't work out well. And we thought, no, with GE, that's going to work. I think I saw them around 110, 120. Yeah. Uh, Larry Culp's done a great job on that, and, and I wouldn't invest in GE now, but the time was, again, was on sale, I think it was about a year and a half ago. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean with this Walgreens. That, that could be that type yep. of situation, but sometimes that doesn't always pan out. Just because <laughs> that happened at GE doesn't mean it's going to happen at Walgreens. So don't think I'm saying that. I'm saying there's potential for that, but you got to do that research to see if that is a, a valid opportunity. I, I know pretty soon we got our uh, real estate segment coming up with uh, Robert B. Hick, who is the president of Countywide Lending. Uh, but I think we got time to look at another company before we go to Robert. Uh, and Boeing. Boeing's been in the news a lot. Boeing has really turned things around. I wasn't really thrilled. I remember back, gosh, I want to say a few years ago, he took on like $40 billion of debt. I mean, so far, it seems to be paying off, but let's look at some numbers at uh, Boeing here. Their symbol is BA. They're in the aerospace and defense industry. Uh, not much float on the stock uh, on short side, 1.7, 63% institutional owned. Well, here's a shocker. 
No P.E. ratio. That means they don't have any earnings over the last 12 months. That's disappointing. Uh, price to sales, 2 versus 1.8. Here's another disappointment. No price to book value, which means you take away all the liabilities from the assets. There's no value to the company. I don't like seeing that. Uh, and I know they do big manufacturing of planes, which are very, very expensive, but still I'd like a, a better balance sheet here. Price to cash flow, 24.9 versus 18.2. As I said, no earnings over the past year. Sales have gone up 30 13.7%. The industry was down 0.8%. Five-year estimated growth rate. Well, here's why everybody's so excited about the stock. It shows 139% from the analysts versus 25% growth over the next five years for the industry. So Boeing's expected to be on fire here, but they're not showing me why yet. Uh, we, we do see on the balance sheet, current ratio 1.2 versus 1.5. Yeah, that, that, that's okay. Debt to equity, not material because, well, they have no equity. So whatever debt they have, they have no equity they could ever use to to uh, offset that. Net profit margin, a negative 3.7 versus a positive 5.6. Return to equity, very good, but this is kind of strange because they really don't have equity. I think it's a, a, a number they kind of came up with, but 16.9, I would take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, looking at the current price here for Boeing, it's actually $249 per share, and, and the 52-week low here is $176.25. The high, Ah, not too far off from that. It's actually $267.54. But gosh, I was just looking at the chart for Boeing. You remember back in 2019 and the Dow was marching higher? And this is, again, where you got to understand what's called a price-weighted index with the Dow. Boeing was such a big part of it. It just kept pushing the Dow higher. Boeing's high, all-time high, was about $430 yeah, per share. That. So even though it's recovered from those COVID lows, I mean, if you've been a long-term investor in Boeing over the last you know, five years, we'll call it, you, you haven't done that well in the stock. And, and maybe things turn around, and, and that's kind of what we want to look at going forward here. I, I, again, go out to, I believe they report on a, a calendar year. So, yeah, go out to December 2024. I do see estimated earning per share of $4.18, but the crazy part is that gives us a target sell price of $69.39. So, I mean, the, the numbers just aren't there for the earnings, but they can take off very quickly. And that's the hard part with a company like Boeing is their earnings are so volatile. Right. And I mean, again, I said 2024, it's $4.18. Now you lose analysts the further you go out, but you go out now to 2025, there's 18 analysts still. You're looking for 93% growth. That's $8.10. And you go out one more year, December 2026, there's now just nine analysts. So you, again, you got to take that with a grain of salt. But the estimated earnings per share are $11.36. So the, the earnings for this company are very complicated, very hard to understand. You know, this is not a business I would necessarily recommend to somebody that, that isn't a experienced investor because it, it is a, a complicated company when you actually break down the income statement, balance sheet, and so forth. And, and when you think about how Boeing works, I mean, you, you're building these planes. I think it takes years to build these planes. You get these contracts and so forth. And I, I do see going back 90 days, analysts, they've dropped their earnings estimates going out to December 2024 by almost 18%. So uh, there's a strong buy in the stock, but I'm, I'm not seeing why this would be here. Uh, they could turn things around. Uh, we didn't look at the balance sheet. I know they still have a lot of debt. Uh, contracts are going pretty good now, but what if the world starts having some problems? Could those contracts start to be canceled and therefore Boeing could turn and go south? I, I would not feel comfortable holding or buying this company now. Yeah, it's just it's a complicated one. And, you know, it really takes a lot of understanding. This is not an easy business to, I, I'm going to say, comprehend, especially with that, that volatility in, in the earnings. And, I mean, the cycles, as you said, they are so long with those planes that, yeah, I mean, they, they might do well in five years, but 
Will they? You know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how long. I think it takes like a year or more to build a plant. It takes a long time. No, it takes a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you got to make it. How, how yeah. do they recognize that revenue? That's the other thing you got to understand. Because if they, you know, look at the income statement, you may. This is the weird thing you got to understand because. You know, if they're getting contracts, they might not recognize that revenue for, you know, three, four, five years yeah. until that delivery happens. So maybe that's why the estimates are so much higher because that revenue will come. It's just not until that plane is delivered, which it takes so long to occur. And it'd be very important to understand those contracts that are signed from different countries because how easy are they to get out of? Because, you know, you got a contract for five, seven years down the road, and all of a sudden, two years down the road, things are not the same. Sorry, we'll cancel that contract. Gosh, Boeing could drop like a rock. Yeah. So you're, you're really predicting on the future there, which I don't like doing. I like to have things a little bit closer to home. Especially so. with the question on balance chain. A lot of times people hinge on the fact of like, oh, well, there's only Airbus and Boeing, but... That's still not a reason for, for me to buy the company. No. A lot of planes out there that are used planes that could maybe, I think Southwest used to buy all used planes. Or no, was it JetBlue who used to buy all the used planes? Uh, I, th I think Southwest did. I mean, they were all Boeings, right. but yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a good question too, is how long is the <laughs> shelf life on a plane, you know? Yeah, and there's still planes you know, from the 50s. Yeah, you refurbish <laughs> them. I mean, how many new planes do you really need at the end of the day? All right, don't tell anybody, but I always like to fly on a new plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I don't know. The 737 MAX had some questions no, for a while. That, yeah, that, that, that's true. That's true. You, you know, I, I think it's time to talk uh, real estate with uh, the president of Countywide Lending, Robert uh, Behick. Uh, is Robert with us? I'm here. All right. Happy well, New Year. Happy New Year, Robert. Uh, good to have you here on the Smart Investing Show. And, and I know you got some great things. This is such a great time to talk about going forward. Uh, what you're, I think you're talking about interest rates for mortgages are going forward here in 2024. Here is our forecast, guys, for 2024 for both real estate and mortgage. Uh, we are now in a much more normal interest rate environment where rates have come down to a point where we're in the sixes and sevens. Uh, we're looking for two to three rate cuts here in 2024. Uh, as the economy still starts to maybe soften a little bit, that should bring uh, the real estate market back into uh, getting some more listings. Right now, that's our biggest problem is that we aren't uh, seeing still uh, a lot of folks list their homes. So prices are firm. We see a lot of folks that are interested in buying, but just not a lot of inventory. And there is a ton of folks, uh, millennials, mm -hmm. that are looking to get into their first place, that they're bigger than the baby boomers, and they're tired of cohabitating, and they want to move out. <laughs> I know. I want my kids out, too. I don't want you I don't live at home. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I think I heard you mention that you're seeing it changing, because for, for a while, people were not leaving their homes. Are you starting to see that change a little bit, where more people are saying, you know, yeah, I know I got a 3% mortgage, but I need a bigger home. I, I've got four kids, and I've got two bedrooms. Are you starting to see that change a little bit? You think it's going to change more in 2024? We do see that happening in 24. It hasn't yet. We just looked at some of the uh, more popular zip codes today, and there's three listings, four listings. It's, it's just also that time of year, but uh, we need a lot more for sale than that. Yeah. And, and Robert, you and I are, I think I'm older than you. 
but I noticed that you agreed with me on two to three rate cuts. Chase thinks there could be be five. I said four or five. I wouldn't be surprised if there was All right, four. Or five. Okay, that's a surprise. Okay, so I'm taking the soft way out. All you right, know? you're trying to be. <laughs> but but I we kind of agree on that. But I mean I mean, do you think that we're going to see mortgage rates at, at what level? Are those type of cuts uh, for people that are trying to buy a home. I'm a little bit younger than you, Frank, but not much. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I hope Chase is right as far as rate cuts go. Go, Chase. Uh, the realities are that you know we start to see rates hopefully down into the fives, and there's a lot of reasons why that we don't have enough time to get into right now. But if we can get a mortgage rate in the fives, low sixes, I would tell folks to jump. Mm. And what do you think about going a fixed or an adjustable? What, what What is your thoughts on that? I think fixed. I really do. I think over the next five years that this is going to be the next sort of uh, low in mortgage rates um, with uh, the economy getting this little bounce. Uh, we should be able to lock things in. And quite frankly, a 30-year fix in the fives or sixes, that's normal. That's actually really good. <laughs> In my 35 years of doing this, the only time rates have been less was during 9-11 when we were attacked in the pandemic. I don't want either one of those to happen again. And, you know, Robert, you talk about your 35 years of doing that. It it is normal. But there's people out there that have been buying homes for like two, three years. Like, what is this with these rates above 3%? How can this be? How can we afford a house? (laughs) I talk to them every day. I understand. It's, uh, you know, it's. Education, right? Just learning a little bit more about what the real world's about. And I don't know if you're with me on this, but I always tell people that sub three percent on a thirty year fix, I don't even know if that's gonna happen in my lifetime again. I mean that was just <laughs> that was crazy. It's kinda of like the seventeen, eighteen percent we saw in the seventies. And I was a part of those too. So right, we don't want really either one of those to happen again because that means there's really bad stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. Yeah, and I think uh, a four and a half to five and a half percent mortgage is more reasonable. You can afford the house with that. Sometimes you got to work a little bit harder. Maybe not get the big house that you wanted at first, but it, it is more reasonable. So, so Robert, if people want to get hold of you, what's the best way to do that? They can reach me either by email, our website, countywidemtg.com countywidemtg.com, or they can give us a call at 760-746-7388. All right. Well, Robert, uh, thank you very much. And you're going you're to give us a real estate uh, information here every week on the Smart Investing Show, try to help out our real estate investors, people buying a home. Uh, so we appreciate uh, you being here part of the Smart Investing Show. It's going to be great. Look forward to it. Great. All right, Robert. Thanks for, thanks for calling. We'll, we'll uh, talk to you next week. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, again, that is a Robert B. Hick. He is president of Countywide Lending. You want to reach Robert, give him a call at 760-746-4388. Again, that's 760-746-4388. He's been doing this for 35 years. He's not quite as old as I am, but he still has a lot of experience there. Why are you laughing, Chase? Uh, you're not old, you're experienced. Uh, <laughs> oh, I like that one much better. That's much better. <laughs> uh, well, let's go back to the, the equities and investing. Uh, well, we done. I think we're done with uh, Boeing, weren't we? Yeah, we, we moved on from Boeing. I think it's just a big risk. And you know, no, it, it's, it's too complicated. It doesn't fit our criteria. Right. We, we need earnings. We need to have that value of those earnings there. And, and right now, it's just it just... It's not. So, I mean, that's one of the hard things as investors. You're going to miss things because it doesn't fit your criteria. But by sticking to your philosophy, you're going to avoid jumping into hype. 
and staying with your your kind of prudent approach. And, and unfortunately, as I said, I, I, Boeing could go higher. I mean, I, I could see maybe again with those deliveries increasing, it's a possibility. But it just it doesn't fit our mold, right? Exactly. And and here on the Smart Investing Show, we try to cover you know three, four different companies to try to help you talk about or understand what's going on in the equity world, where you should be investing your money. One that was popular this this, this week and started off was the the oil side, and we've always liked Exxon Mobil. I've not bought it in a long time, but it's back in the news. Didn't do that well in 2023, so I thought we'd take a look at Exxon Mobil. Yeah, let's take a look at Exxon here. Okay, their symbol is XOM. They're in the oil and gas integrated industry. Only 2% float on that company. 61% institutional owned. Uh, a decent P.E. ratio, 10.2 versus 7.4. We, we generally like to buy an investment or a company or an equity when the P.E. is around oh, 10 to 12 or so, and Exxon's right in there. The industry is at 7.4. Uh, we do see price to sales, 1.2 versus 0.6. Price to tangible book value, 2.1. Half the industry at 5.4. Price to cash flow, 7.2 versus 4. And the peg ratio, I love this peg ratio, 0.3 versus 4.9, it, it means you're paying next to nothing for the future growth of uh, ExxonMobil. We do see that the earnings were down 24.1% year over year. The industry was down 26%. Uh, sales for Exxon were also down 13.2. The industry was down 9.2. Here's another phenomenal five-year growth rate. 45.3% is what the five-year estimate is by the average of the uh, analysts, well above the industry at 6.9, so Exxon is expected to grow very nicely there. You get like a 3.7% dividend. They use 36% of their earnings to pay it out, so that, that's very reasonable. Look at the balance sheet, current ratio 1.4, about the same as the industry at 1.3. Well, here's a, a nice, a good surprise. Debt equity, 0.2 versus 0.4. Exxon does not have a lot of debt on the balance sheet. That's a positive. Their net profit margin, 11.9% versus 8.4, another positive return on equity, 20.6 versus 17.8. Chase, what do you got there? Yeah, so current price here for ExxonMobil, again, ticker symbol is XOM. Well, it's $102.63. I see the 52-week low here. Wow, I, I'm kind of surprised by this. 52-week low, $97.48. And then the 52-week high here, $120.70. As you said, it hasn't really done great over the last year. It's actually down about 6%. And I was kind of surprised by this as well. I looked over the last 10 years, ExxonMobil up 1.79%. Now, that doesn't include dividends <laughs> that you've gotten over that 10 years, time. wow. But 10 years, yeah, it hasn't really moved. And uh, again, want to look at the, the valuations for this company going forward. So let's take a look going out to December 2024. I do see estimated earnings per share of $9.06. Actually gives a target sell price here of $150.40, which gives it a forward PE multiple of uh, about 11, 11 half times. It, it's, it's not as an inexpensive as I was hoping. And the other big thing you have to watch out for these oil companies is they made a lot of money during COVID. Yeah. Now, those earnings are coming down. This year, earnings are estimated to fall 34%. Next year, they're estimated to fall another 1%. And actually, you know, we're coming up on 2025 earnings here shortly. Those are estimated even to fall another 1%. So right now, analysts aren't too optimistic about that earnings outlook, which is kind of weird because a lot of analysts are, you know, kind of more optimistic on the stock price going forward. And one thing you got to look at as an investor, though, I mean, you're not going to have a 20, or well, I'll say a 30, 40, 50% gain on this, yeah. but you could very easily have, with a dividend, a 15 to 20% return. I mean, the analysts, I mean, the, the, the numbers I, I see going out to December 2024, about 930, that's a good good return. You're not paying that much for it. And it's a safe business. And I'm sorry, oil is not going away. People think it's just driving. No, I did not know this. Oil is used in Lycra and, the, and all those pants and everything people wear. 
I was like, I don't know what lycra is. It sounds like okra, which is like a vegetable or something. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Wait, isn't it those tight pants people wear? <laughs> I don't know, but not having energy is a mistake, I think, in the portfolio. I agree. Well, there's a closing bell. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only. It should not be used on investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, Brent Wilsey, or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858 858- Five four six four three zero six, or be sure to visit that website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com a great newsletter there for you a lot of information we talk about is in that newsletter there uh, thanks for listening we'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show so music, two things.